Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Exposure Ninja podcast. This one is how to get to the top of Google. So looking at Google's ranking factors, how to optimize your website to make it Google friendly and why links are important and how to get them. Now joining me on this episode are Dale Davies and Zach Hayes from Exposure Ninja, two very, very smart SEO brains. SEO is something that is um, really important to uh, to a lot of business owners. In fact, if you could ask most business owners um, with an online presence what their number one marketing goal would be, it would probably be to rank at the top of Google because that means they're being seen by people who are looking for exactly what it is they offer. So this is a really important topic. It's something that we're going to go into in, a mu- in much more detail in future episodes because um, if you've read uh, my book, then you'll know that there's a huge amount of stuff that, that's, uh, that's covered within SEO. But this episode is focused on giving you a good basic understanding of where SEO is um, and uh, how, to, uh, how to get your site ranking better. If you enjoy this episode or any of the others, then please remember to leave a review and a rating in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're finding it. That really helps our ranking and means that we can continue delivering podcast episodes for you. Anyway, without further ado, let's get stuck in. Alrighty, welcome to the podcast, Zach and Dale. Hey. Hiya, how you doing? Not too bad, thanks. So as you know, the focus of this episode is how to get to the top of Google, Ninja SEO tips to increase the ranking of any website. Before we get going into specific strategies that that people can use i wanted to talk about the whole thing of getting better ranking in general because for many website owners when they think about digital marketing getting to the top of google or bing or whatever that's one of their primary goals why do you think that is and and what does it really mean for people when their sites are ranking well well i think you've got to kind of think about how people consume information in modern times if people have a problem, if they need to find out how to do something, for a lot of people, that first port of call is is going to be Google. So being able to get their business, their brand in in front of in front of the people that are, are looking to engage with them, it's really really powerful, and it's also a bit more direct, a bit more authoritative than maybe doing uh, some kind of like old school marketing campaigns. Because again, if you can if you can be seen to be within that kind of top position, um, first page of Google, then Obviously, we know how the Google algorithm works and it's it's on the perceived quality of that website. So to have your website there, yeah, it's it's a really good trust signal for, for the consumer that's obviously making that search. Yeah, I guess lots of people still think that Google decides which websites to rank and puts the best businesses at the top. And even if they know that it is algorithmic rather than a, a manual process, there's still a, a kind of perceived quality. Dale, we've noticed that traffic from organic on Google tends to be pretty good quality compared to say traffic from pay-per-click and social. Is that something that, that you've kind of seen as well? Yeah, actually quite regularly. Generally because when people are searching for something, a particular service or a product or a business, they know exactly what they want. Whereas typically with PPC traffic, you know, that's ad traffic uh, found from Google, it's a little bit more fickle and they're not entirely sure that what they're looking for. And perhaps sometimes when they go through to the website, the website doesn't even match their initial uh, search query. So with organic, the, the way the algorithm works, you, you're sure that the quality and the type of business or, or website at the top is uh, more defined and, and matches your query more accurately. 
Okay, so because people are used to seeing good quality and, and really super relevant results in organic, they tend to give those results more time and, and um, they, they, they tend to, I guess, buy into those results, which I guess is why we see things like a lower bounce rate and higher conversion rates, more time on page, for example, from organic traffic than, say, PPC or social. Of course, people aren't entirely sure and they don't know if they can trust the advert because like with many adverts, it's perception thing. People kind of imagine what's going to be on the other side of the link. And when they get there, they're often kind of uh, disappointed or confused. Or sometimes if it's a bad ad campaign, they could be bewildered by, by what's on the other side. It doesn't match their initial query at all especially in the cases where a website hasn't been optimized properly. So they, they tend to kind of lose interest in that website and very quickly go back to the search. Search results have that kind of more qualitative aspect. Yeah, and I think it's also important to remember that obviously the mechanism that PPC operates on is very, very different to how SEO is um, and how that works. So obviously, yeah, with PPC, like Dale said, that particular website could maybe be bidding on a keyword that maybe the actual website and the content on the website, it could be good, but maybe it's not the best. So whereas SEO looks at lots of things and it's probably as close you can get as to for information ranking based on the merit and the quality of it. Whereas obviously PPC, you've got to look at your ad budget and you've also got to look at who's managing that campaign. So I know from experience where we've kind of worked with businesses, usually small businesses that want to try and keep everything in-house, maybe like the kind of one-man band type things, and they're they're having a go at doing everything. When we look back at their traffic, you can see that they've kind of tried to manage PPC campaign, not manage the budget. It spiked. They've been really busy for maybe three days and had lots of paid traffic come through Google, and then they've used up all their budget and decided PPC is not for them. But again, it's important to note that within that three days, they would have been highly visible and then they would have been bidding on lots of things. So it's a lot harder to manage kind of than SEO. I think it's a lot harder to pick up the basics and to run a good campaign. Whereas with SEO, obviously the basics, which we'll go through in this, a lot easier, a lot more holistic to kind of roll out. All right. So there are a few different types of of searches that people tend to carry out whether they're looking for something really specific or maybe they're looking for some information about something. What what sort of phrases can businesses show up for? Is it purely just, I'm looking for a plumber, so I'm going to search plumber in Bristol? Are, are there different kind of types of, of searches that people might want to rank for? Yeah, so there's generally three different types of search queries. Obviously, people are searching because they're looking for something. The nature of that search might be a slightly different search to search, but mainly they can be categorized into three main things. First one is that they could be navigational searches. So that could be, I don't know, maybe they've opened their web browser. First thing that comes up is a search box and they just type in Facebook or eBay. They're clearly looking to get to navigate to that web page. So they're using it um, as a mechanism to get there. Then there's informational searches, usually question-based. So something like, how do you make a pizza? Or if you kind of wanted to move that down, shorten that down, condense that, maybe even just pizza recipes. It's where, yeah, you're, you're essentially looking for a nugget of information. You're looking to how to be told to do something. You've got a problem that needs solving and you're looking for an article or web page that's going to solve that for you. And then finally, there's transactional, which is essentially the money end of the funnel, which is where people are kind of looking to purchase a product. They're looking to take direct action. So that could be something like brown leather shoes, size nine. Or for example, if you're a local business, maybe you don't ship products, could be something like a mechanic in Nottingham. These are the people that are going to be searching, ready to convert, 
and are, yeah, are looking directly for the service that you're offering. Cool. So those are the phrases that we say have commercial intent. So they're typically the ones that people would pay to advertise against. And I guess they're also the ones that most people focus on when there's actually a lot of potential to, to show up for the informational searches, but, but we'll go through that later on. So Google announced fairly recently for the first time in as long as I've been following SEO, what its three main ranking factors are. So obviously there are hundreds and hundreds of different ranking factors that Google uses to decide where to where to put each site for each search. But the, the three main ones that they came out and said, yep, yeah, the, these are the top, top ranking factors are content, links and rank brain. So maybe we can talk about all three of them, but if we, if we start with content, how does the text content on a particular website help ranking? Obviously, Google is essentially just a big data aggregator. Um, it's just crawling and reading data that's on web pages. And a large part of that data is actually going to be the content that's on, on the website. So the words on the site, yeah, largely influence what that site or what at page level, what that page is going to be ranking for. So for example, if you've got a specific phrase that you want to target, let's say, for example, bespoke bathrooms, it's good practice and it will give Google an easier time justifying ranking you for that if it sees you kind of talking about bespoke bathrooms throughout your content. And yeah, basically, it's just the way that it's, it works and processes that information that it then yeah it translates that into how to best answer that search query that it's seeing. So I guess on a, on a basic level, if you're going to, if you want to rank for something, you have to make sure that that text is, is found on your website. Yeah. And I mean, it's important to kind of not let that kind of regress into, I don't know, like the old school type SEO we were seeing maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago. Um, so again, if I want to rank for bespoke bathrooms, I, I don't want to fall into the trap of maybe looking at stuff like trying to get a high keyword density or maybe just mentioning bespoke bathrooms, I don't know, 10 times on a page just because I want to force that in there. That's what's kind of known as keyword stuffing um, and is yeah, generally been clamped down on now. But the way that search is going now is to, to write the most wholesome, useful content possible. So if I want to rank for bespoke bathrooms, then yeah, I'll, I'll maybe I'll uh, plan a nice content piece around that, get good quality text on that page um, and really hone in what, what that content is talking about to be directly related to what I'm trying to rank for. So Dale, we know that the keywords that we want to target, we need to include them in our in our text, obviously in a natural way, we don't want to stuff, but how do we know which keywords we should be targeting in the first place and which are going to be the most profitable for? Okay, well, typically from experience, the best kind of uh, practice is to put yourself in the shoes of the customer. Because generally, the way the customer thinks and the way they search for things will differ from the way, say, a business owner would search for them. For example, with bespoke bathrooms that we were talking about before, they might be looking for something very specific and they're going to search for that. They might make it a bit more... Or if it's a longer term, put it in more layman terms. Whereas uh, so a business owner or an expert in that industry might be a bit more technical or, or, and search for it differently. So it's important to kind of do a little bit of market research in that sense and do some keyword research around very simplistic keyword phrases. And then what we would do with those is then once we have compiled a list and you know this list can be as, as short and uh, as long as you really need. If we were on a, a small scale for just a landing page for bespoke bathrooms, you know, just a handful would be fine. Uh, what we do is just kind of take those into one of Google's own tools called Keyword Planner. And it's typically used for um, their AdSense, their AdWords campaigns, but we can use it and still kind of filter out how much 
people are searching for those those uh, keyword phrases per month on average. Only then we can see if people are searching for this frequently, it means that it's clearly key to their research before they make their purchase. So that you know they're, they're looking for more knowledge, and perhaps some of those phrases are commercial based. And if it's uh, for a, a high frequency and it's good commercial uh, intent, then it's quite possible that we want to actually drive our our content and write it around that phrase rather than the more complex or any related terms. And then actually, when you go into Google search itself, you can have a look and see it, the ads actually above the uh, results. And you can like pick out a few little bits and pieces. For example, you can find some unique selling points uh, from those uh, ads, which might be a fast installation in this case, or free consultation, free measuring of, of the bathroom, things like that, and, and pull those out and put them into your, into your copy. And then you've got the best of everything. You've got the commercial intent of the keywords and also the USPs, the unique selling points that are currently working for people. Other businesses are paying a fair bit of money for the ads at the top of the page. So it's sensible to presume that these keywords or USPs are are useful for the copy itself. Sure. So we know that if people are, particularly if they're good adverts and they look like they've been well constructed, then we know that if if these advertisers are tracking which keywords are turning into conversions for them which it's safe to assume they are if they look like professional ads then we know that these phrases must be profitable so you're saying go into keyword planner and you can find that by just googling keyword planner have a look at the the search volume of different phrases also have a look at how much commercial intent is there so the the competition rating there shows the paid adwords the amount that people are willing to spend per click on on those keywords so that will tell you if these are profitable keywords or not. And also just kind of talk to your customers and get in their head, really. It reminds me of one case where we were working on a company that did office massage. And when we first talked to them, they said the phrase that we want to rank for more than anything, this on-site massage, this is the number one phrase. Everyone in our industry uses it. And when we did the keyword research, we found that actually there's there's barely any search volume for this phrase at all. The the customers and, and the audience for this, which is the business owner, they have no idea what on-site massage is whatsoever. The only people that use that phrase is the industry. So they're all just checking out their competition. That that traffic isn't commercial at all. So what we did there is look at, okay, so maybe it's corporate massage, office massage. These phrases people actually understand. They know what they mean. So I guess one of the things you're saying is don't overestimate your audience. Look at the most basic way of describing what it is that you do because that's often what people are searching for. So if we were looking to hire, uh, for example, an account manager, what we would be looking to set up a page on our website and what we'd be looking to run ads around and maybe run some outreach content around, we would be labeling that term as an account manager because that's what's going to resonate with the people in which we're trying to target. Whereas internally, we might, I don't know, refer to them as an account ninja or something, an internal role which we've assigned to them. But the person which we want to attract are account managers. So it's important to reach out to the people in a language that they understand and the language that they use and that your own kind of internal thinking, your own internal business thinking doesn't become too siloed and that you give yourself enough breadth for the campaign to succeed. Yes, makes perfect sense. So I guess the other thing that we need to say is that there are keywords at different stages in the in the research and the purchase cycle. So somebody who's searching for, um, if we take recruitment, as an example, someone who's searching for digital marketing jobs is someone who's in the really early stages of 
that kind of search. They're just learning about, you know, they might not have commercial intent. Or if we take a, a commercial example, someone who's searching for women's shoes. So that's a really informational broad search. They could be looking for loads of different stuff. Their pictures of women's shoes or info about how to make women's shoes or whatever. As the keywords get more specific, the commercial intent goes up, I guess. So until you get to size six, Doc Martens, purple women's shoes, then that's a you know really high commercial intent phrase or size six, purple women's Doc Martens shoes, free delivery. That's super high commercial because they're basically ready to buy now. They're just looking for a vendor. So I guess the we need to make sure that we're targeting in our customer's language at different stages in that in that cycle we'll, we'll go through we'll go through keyword research in more detail in, in a future episode so we got we got our keywords we we know the sort of phrases that we want to be targeting what happens now how do we get those on our website in a way that's google friendly and and I'll, keeps our website useful for people so i think the first thing is just to get to go out with the mind of, of writing really good copy i think yeah that that's kind of going to be the first piece of advice to give anyone write in a way so that it sounds good first and foremost and that will make it a lot easier to optimize around in the kind of later stages so this is the kind of thing which if you're not confident with writing copy yourself then yeah it it really is just worth kind of reaching out to someone a freelancer maybe to, to kind of do it for you because at the end of the day you're writing for people first and then search engines second there's there's some technical stuff that we can do. Um, I'm not really going to get into it now in too much detail, um, but the high kind of the high value keywords we we will want to kind of optimize our title tags around on pages, um, and we'd also want to get those into our meta description. So I'll quickly run through what they are and what they mean. Um, so obviously title tags is basically every web page is just uh, a document. It, same as a word document. The same as an Excel spreadsheet. It's a document. It's just something to contain that information. So the title is essentially the title of that document. For people that that I've worked with and consulted on that that, that kind of maybe having trouble conceptualizing the role of the title, it's the best way to think about it is maybe you've got a really big, huge book. Um, You don't know where to start. It's so big, but you know it's full of really good information. Um, So your first port of call there is probably going to be the contents page. And then you look down the contents page, you see the chapter which is talking about the thing that you, that you want to look up, the thing that you want to study, and then you'll go straight to that page and then you'll read through that chapter and it'll be full of all really great information, all related to the, the title of that chapter. That, the same thing's happening here with page titles. It's what Google looks at to kind of help determine what the content on that page is about. And then if it Google then crawls that page, sees that the content on the page is really good and also tight and talking about that same topic, then it it, yeah, it gives it a bit of an easy time uh, ranking you well for that phrase. And then obviously meta descriptions are a similar tag within the web document. And the, this is basically the bit of copy um, when someone searches in Google, this is the bit of copy, the bit of text that appears underneath the link. And again, this is essentially just saying what uh, searchers can expect to see on that page and, and it's the stuff that's going to entice them to click um, and having keywords within your meta descriptions it doesn't impact rankings directly but it can the text can be placed in bold and be made more alluring and get people actually onto the site which at the end of the day is one of the most important things so the meta descriptions are the things that show up in google with your website right so if we make them appealing then we have more chance of getting people onto your site in the first place i guess 
Yeah, exactly. So again, to come back to uh, Dale's point, uh, uh, example about the boutique bathrooms, best practice, the most effective way of kind of writing these mess descriptions that we've found uh, is to have a, a kind of a very small, slight, really kind of effective call to action in there. So for example, with the boutique bathrooms, free installation, free delivery, free consultation, and having that somewhere within that, because if I'm searching for I don't know, boutique bathrooms, if I see that, then I'm going to think, wow, this is going to be really good. I'm going to get a great deal out of this. Um, and that can be the difference between me clicking through and maybe scrolling down one or two places, seeing a competitor that has it in there and thinking, actually, these guys might be a bit of a better option. Cool. So that makes sense. So we've got our keywords. We put them on our website in the copy of, of the site and we need to make sure that the copy is well written. We put them in our page titles and meta descriptions. Dale, what about blogs? Because we always tell businesses to have blogs on their websites. And the question that we inevitably get back is, who's going to read a blog about X? Do I really need to do this? Or are we just pumping content onto the website to keep Google happy? What's what's your take on that? Well, to be honest with you, as much as I uh, agree that having regular content updated to the website is fantastic for Google. I mean, Google loves new content. They can crawl. In, in terms of the kind of... Uh, it might be a boring subject or business, uh, for example. There's actually quite a lot you can do around the subject matters. Like, for, for example, what you might find boring might actually be quite fascinating for other people. So you can just twist the actual like original uh, subject matter and put like a, an interesting angle on it. For example, uh, there's a, a company called Buffer who write fantastic content. And what they do is that they're not really trying to sell their product so much as write interesting content about the industry in which they're in. And they try and pull in different ideas from different industries or different things to kind of create something that anybody would want to read because it's informative. For example, they, they write, obviously their, their software in particular it helps with social media, but a lot of what they actually write is about the psychological side of social media or the things that happen on social media. So they might reach out to other companies and connect with them and perhaps have some guest writers come in, explain how they work. They might say, oh, we're actually looking at um, calls to action. You might not think that calls to action are so important in social media updates, especially people who are new to social media uh, channels. They might just think, oh, I'm supposed to just update it frequently and that's it. But the actual way you write the content as you're updating it is very important to gain the click, to earn that click and make sure that somebody wants to, to um, click on your link. Um, so the content you write can actually be highly informative about that subject. It might not actually be talking about your software or, or your product, but it can just draw in customers or potential leads to your website uh, through related matters. And, and blogs are a fantastic way of doing that. Uh, also because you can bring in other people to help you with that as well. So for example, if you were to reach out to other people in your industry, you could write a, a blog post with 10 other industry experts and, and create like the most informative post around on that subject that you beforehand thought would be worth nothing to anyone is actually, it could end up being the, the highest traffic earner on your entire website. So yeah, to build upon that. Um, so these search types that we, that we briefly spoke about before, um, so navigational, informational, transactional, it's also for, for blog posts, they will more or less always reside within that informational cluster of, of searches just because we're not really going to make a blog live 
for example, I don't know, yeah, the best mechanic in Nottingham, why whilst we might want to rank the site to rank for best mechanic in Nottingham, we're not going to really going to structure a blog article about that because it's just not very efficient and we're not really going to be expecting to to kind of the blog to be a big conversion in terms of sales or inquiries for us. Whereas, for example, we could maybe look at have an informational piece on it, something, what does this light on my dashboard mean? Something like that, which is going to pull people in onto the website, maybe not looking, not that ready to convert at this particular stage, um, but they, they're in onto the site for a related search. And that's the important thing. Once we've got them on site, then we can start kind of marketing to them. We might capture their email address. We might get them to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. They might request a free consultation, something like that. The means and the ends are slightly different. And it's about setting up different stages of the funnel and just trying to guide people through that funnel. And blogs are such a good way to do that because it allows us to rank for terms that we might not want the actual main homepage or main service pages to to rank for because they're much more powerful, much more authoritative. We want those to be the money phrases. Whereas with a blog, yeah, we can get some good content up, which is related. It's not going to directly necessarily result in a sale for us, but it still allows us to kind of keep filling our pipeline with leads. So what we're saying is almost how in the olden days, in the olden days, like five years ago, there'll be a magazine and then the magazine would have commercial adverts in. We're almost saying that for a business that what they can do is they can kind of bolt on a magazine onto their website and the goal of the magazine, just like a, you know, the goal of the blog, just like a real world magazine is to draw people in with information and and actual useful stuff. So rather than the mechanic just saying how to choose the best mechanic in Nottingham and making that a blog post, he can actually try and educate people and genuinely make something useful. And that's going to attract people who are potential customers, right? Yeah, exactly. And I I always think it's useful to kind of relate things back to how things were traditionally done, um, especially within print media, because a lot of the stuff that we do, it's the same skill set and it's a lot of the same reasoning. Um, It's just slightly different methods of doing it. But yeah, like exactly like you said, it's it's about being useful. It's about being perceived as useful. And it's about getting people into basically putting yourselves on the radar um, for those people and yeah, just kind of showing that you're relevant. And if kind of, if nothing else, it's just a good way to really show off your knowledge, really show that, okay, we are the best at what we do. We know loads of stuff. We can't, we're not going to take away from the usability of the main page of the site. So we're going to, yeah, put it in this kind of little magazine, nice compact magazine section and um, give information to people that way. Yeah, that's cool. I think that authority thing is is super important. We have quite a lot of people that say they've been reading the blogs, they've read a, about a particular topic that we write about, and that's what's differentiated us from, from other people in our market in their heads. Cool. We've got um, Zach and Dale here on the Exposure Ninja podcast. We're talking about how to get to the top of Google. We're going to take a short break now, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about the power of links. Want to learn how to increase the search ranking of any website? Exposure Ninja's book, How to Get to the Top of Google, is best-selling SEO title and explains step-by-step how to increase the visibility of any website, no matter your market or audience. Check out what these real reviews on Amazon say about how to get to the top of Google. This book is the Bible of SEO. When read and applied, it works 100%. I have websites dominating the search results and making my phone ring every day. 
I feel empowered with this knowledge and insight to SEO. Thanks, Tim and team. If there was a six-star option available, I would give it. Incredibly useful book filled with so many nuggets. This book taught me all I needed to know plus more. was worth every penny. Good job, Mr. Kitchen. Excellent book written so anyone can understand it. No techie speak. Really useful points that you can action and clear instructions which makes things so much easier. How to get to the top of Google comes with free lifetime updates so you'll never need to buy another SEO book. Find it in paperback and Kindle editions with over 120 five-star reviews by searching Amazon for how to get to the top of Google. Alrighty, so welcome back. We're going to talk now about links and why they're important. So guys, previously with SEO, everyone was focused on getting loads of links. I need tens of thousands of links. Why are people so focused on links? Why are they important to help our websites ranking? I always find with links and when speaking with links, it's kind of like a minefield because you don't want to paint the wrong impression. They are really, really important and essentially a link is seen as a voter quality for a particular website. It comes to the way that yeah, Google and people process information. So the way Google is looking at that particular link, if a website links to another one, it's, it's usually because there's some information on, on the page that's being linked to that is relevant to what the other page is talking about. So it makes sense for them to be a really powerful ranking metric, but at the same time, there's so much scope for them to kind of be abused. It doesn't mean just build links anywhere. The reason why they're important is because it shows that the site's being linked to is 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 authoritative. Okay, so it's almost like Google uses links as a measure of authority to see which are the most authoritative sites because they are the ones that tend to be linked by most other websites, right? Yeah, so guys at Majestic, which is a really good tool that we use, um, we rely on it every day, they're the way they've conceptualized the internet, um, and they speak about it quite a lot in blog posts and stuff like that, is that authority kind of uh, flows down from top tier web websites and kind of almost down through like maybe kind of like a pyramid. Um, so your top tier websites, the most authoritative, your most trustworthy are going to be kind of, uh, for example, like The Guardian, news websites like Huffington Post, stuff like that, which really authoritative, really visible, lots of information on there. And also because that information is so reliable and so visible, obviously more people are going to link to it. And then that trickles down to the next tier and then down to the next tier, down to the next tier, down to the next tier, all the way until you get all the way down until you get to kind of like bloggers, small businesses, stuff like that. So the information might not be original, it might not be their own by the time it's kind of trickled down and reached them. So they might link to different websites, but the kind of source of that information might yeah, kind of come from the top. So Dale, how, how authoritative is a link from, say, The Guardian versus a link from, say, a business directory or an SEO directory, something like that. How 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 useful is each one to our website and our ranking cause? Well, as uh, Zach kind of pointed out, you will have some websites near the top of this pyramid that he referenced. Uh, and The Guardian is definitely up there as one of the most authoritative domains. So any kind of link coming from there is highly authoritative. And it, if it's pointing to your website says, this is credible enough that we would link to it, that we would you know, instruct you to go there and, and you should believe us when we say it's trustworthy. And uh, the case with uh, directories and SEO kind of directory listings, things like that is that uh, it can be twofold because 
the way SEO directory listings have happened, you know, been used in the past and the way they can be used now uh, differ. So for example, you can have a lot of links uh, coming from uh, directories and, and SEO linking strategies and stuff like that. And um, they don't really carry with them a lot of authority because they, they seem quite spammy. Whereas on the other hand, you do have directories which are very specific. Uh, so if it was a industry specific directory, say for dentists, there's a one in the UK called Dentist for You, I think it is. And a link coming from them is 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 worth a whole lot more than just a kind of a regular SEO spammy directory listing. So the the kind of the more niche and the more industry based your link comes from, you know, another high authority website, the more impactful it is as well. Okay, so we've got the the links from websites that are relevant to us are important so the context of the link i guess you're saying so if i'm a dentist a link from a website about dentistry is is important and then we've also got the most authoritative site so if the guardian is really authoritative then that's a really important link we we talked about directories are there any other ways that we can get links to our website how do we get more links coming in well, one of the main kind of parts of, of the way Exposure Ninja works is that we have a dedicated digital PR team and they work constantly on fantastic strategies of how to, to build links and not in the kind of the classic way in which SEO uh, would have worked, which is just to kind of get any link possible. What we try and do is, is based around quality and or, you know, authority and relevancy. So what our digital PR team will do two things. They'll, they'll not only kind of work on the quality of the content of our own site, of, of the client's website through blogs. What they do is they reach out to other websites or uh, businesses within the selected industry. So for example, if we return to the dentist websites, they might reach out to other dentists or, or uh, dentistry uh, industry websites and say, you know, perhaps we can contribute articles to you and just kind of connect that way and build up links that way. And there's the other way where they can reach out to semi-relevant content. So for example, we might write a, a piece about how dentistry or is important for kids or kids' dental health is important. And then you can put that on a, a child health website. So there is some authority coming through. Uh, it's not identical. It's not dentistry linking to another dentistry, but it's health linking to a dentistry site. So there's some s- semi-relevancy and you can build up your authority that way. And then and part and parcel of that is that it also builds up a bit of your brand awareness. So it, it's it's the same as if you were doing um, a kind of classic analog marketing campaign where you want to have your name in as many relevant places as possible. You don't just put it everywhere. You want to be in you know, really narrow kind of fields. Okay, so yeah, as you say, just like in the olden days when the more places you're seen, the better. And- I think it's even, even more so with, uh, with the online world is that rather than not just everywhere, because that, that really does help, especially when we come to start talking about ads and stuff like that. But with these kind of super relevant or semi-relevant websites, you're connecting directly with the people you're trying to convert into, into customers. You know, if, it, if a dentistry article appears on, let's say, a, a website about I don't know, bathrooms, since we've referenced them already, the relevancy isn't really there. And you're not trying, the person that's reading about um, bathroom uh, installation is probably not that interested in dental care, where if it comes up on a health website, they're probably more likely to start to be you know, fed into your funnel and eventually converted into a sale. Yeah, and that's also the, the way in which we're seeing SEO and also digital marketing as a whole going. It's it's almost like 
the context is becoming much more important than the actual uh, kind of the method itself. Context is so important. So for example, the uh, Google algorithmic updates that have come in, um, a, a good way to make sure that you're safe from those is by make, by looking at the context of your content um, and also the context of your links coming into you. And if it makes sense for, for that link or content to be there, if it, at the end of the day, if it's useful, the, the likelihood is that you'll be safe. Um, whereas, for example, yeah, like Dale said, if you've got a link coming in from a site which has nothing to do with you, which again is um, a lot of the people which we've worked with recently um, that have come to us on the back of a penalty. So they, they may have been really visible for a few years, then all of a sudden just th their kind of organic visibility kind of dropped off. And that's because they've been penalized by Google for maybe having links from places which the algorithm has judged um, doesn't make sense or are just from kind of low quality websites. So we're saying that Google's less likely to penalize a link which looks natural and looks like it was, you know, there's a reason for it being there rather than just a link that's been placed there because somebody told somebody that you had to get as many links as possible. So they just put their links everywhere. Yeah, and it's it's exactly that. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, with all SEO and with all digital marketing, yeah, the, the end game obviously is to drive sales, but it's to drive sales by being useful. It's not by to drive sales by just being kind of spammy. So all of the processes in which we use and which we would recommend yeah, anyone listening to this podcast use, make sure it's white hat, make sure that that you're really looking at the context and the quality of what you're doing along the way to, just to be really, really safe. All right, so time for a challenge then. I'm a local beauty salon. How can I use this stuff around digital PR? How can I get some links? Okay, so uh, in this particular example of a local beauty salon, we want to return to what we were saying before about relevancy. So our digital PR team, uh, as an example, would start to connect with relevant websites to that. So you might find that there are a lot of beauty websites out there, a lot of beauty blogs out there who are highly authoritative, who um, who regularly are looking for more content. You know, They have an audience that's uh, eager for more tips and, and guides and stuff like that. So one last thing we could do is we could create content that fulfills that need. And within the copy, uh, the article we place on the uh, other website, we can have a link back to our own website. And we can continue with that for a while and, and build up backlinks that way. Uh, we can also connect with local websites in the same vein. So for example, if it was in uh, Gloucester, we could speak to other websites within Gloucestershire and see if we can build up links that way, talking about local businesses or you know, there are lots of different ways in which you can do that. And uh, also one, one very good aspect that I always kind of encourage is to talk to local community groups or associations and uh, see if you can find a potential way to build a link that way. Because uh, local associations in particular, like uh, business networks, they, they tend to be very authoritative websites. You know, you can actually not just get the backlink, you can actually make some good connections that way as well. So those three things of uh, outreach to beauty websites and blogs and working with local webs websites and local businesses can drive the authority of your website up quite a lot. Cool. So what might be some examples of angles that I could say I've found a beauty website. It's like a magazine, an online magazine for beauty tips. How could I approach them and get them to give me a link? Well, it, you could start up a, a conversation. I think um, most of the time, every kind of successful campaign we've had, it's all about kind of connecting with someone else. 
there's no point in doing kind of the more classic spammy emails, cold calling. You know, it, it doesn't really work in this day and age. People want to be connected with. They, they quite easily switch off and just, uh, you know, hi, I'm this. This is my link. Can you post it? It's better to, to you know build up a rapport with someone rather than just here's my article, take it, publish it. You can actually find out what the other person is looking for. Perhaps you've looked through their website and you see that there's a, a particular gap in their subject that they haven't covered and you can point out to them, well, listen, I, I already have an article or I could write an article around that for you and, and fill that gap in your in your subject and your knowledge base or perhaps you have a, a calendar gap. You know, Most bloggers are trying to fill up as many days as they possibly can. So you could do that. And over time, it, when this, you've uh, built up that rapport, you could pot- potentially have another link or a good partnership that, that carries on for the long term. Cool. So the first stage then is to look at what sorts of content they're already posting. Are there any gaps? Is there anything that is in your field of expertise which you could add? And then if they're a blogger, they might be posting very frequently. I think. Do you know what? I think a lot of people underestimate how difficult it is to keep a blog going for a long time. If you're a professional blogger or if you're even if you're not a professional blogger but you're used to posting twice a week say you're a mummy blogger or beauty blogger if you've been going for a year that's 100 posts you've got to find something new to come up with twice a week that's pretty hard going isn't it so i'm guessing that these people would actually be glad to hear from from others who as long as you go about the outreach in the right way they're probably going to be glad to hear from people who could contribute to this Certainly. And I, I come personally from a background in blogging and, you know, I've blogged for about three or four years. And initially I started off writing about five blog posts a week. That took considerable amount of time. And even though I was uh, writing with my partner, it was extensive work. You know, it took a, uh, took a long time. And over time you start to realize that you're stretching yourself too thin and you could do with a little bit of a helping hand. And that's where these you know, requests to have a guest post published or something like that actually came in really handy. It gave me a chance to kind of recuperate and strategize perhaps some future blog posts. It gave me a time to breathe and rethink. And yeah, it's actually very handy for for, for me and that website. If I'm trying to get a blog post uh, posted on your blog, Dale, what would the sort of approach that I could take? You know, how, how would I make that effective rather than just saying, you know, hey, first name, I'm interested in posting on your website in return for a link. Like how, how would I go about? To be honest with you, one of the, some of the best ways in which uh, people have connected with me before we've uh, post allowed them to guest post on our website is um, because they've just kind of connected with us. They've tweeted us or me personally on Twitter or they've reached out to me on Facebook. Sometimes people have um, even approached me at events. You know, if I've gone to a conference, they said, I loved your article about Barcelona, three things to do in Barcelona. I thought it was amazing. I ticked off every single thing. (laughs) I I actually found something else that I think would be great on there. I found another 10 things to do. Perhaps I could write 10 unique or unusual things to do in Barcelona perhaps that'd be useful to you and and these guys with these guys I've had guest posts from have all pretty much 99% of them uh, have come through that way come through that method of connecting with me first either Twitter or in person okay so they've shown that you know even if they were to come through email they'd have shown that they were caught they were aware of the sort of stuff that you've posted and that they've actually taken the time to read through and they're not just saying, hey, Dale, I want a link from your website. <laughs> yeah, in, in fact, I mean, some emails will start with, oh, uh, 
do you remember we talked on Twitter a week ago about this particular thing? And uh, of course, that just triggers an instant kind of happier reaction from me because yeah. it's not it's not a cold call. And I'm more likely to continue reading that email rather than just sending it to the trash like I do for most of the other five to ten emails I get every day. <laughs> so that's how I can get some links if I'm a beauty salon. Imagine I'm a really, really boring company. So for this example, I'm going to use my brother's company. He works for a company that does, they manufacture the electrical connectors in drilling bits for oil rigs. So nobody's blogging about that and nobody really cares unless they own an oil rig and then they really care. But how could a company like that use something as cool and trendy as digital PR to get links? I think uh, with that, you've got to kind of not be so kind of hard on yourself that that it's like, oh, I'm not interesting. I haven't got anything. I haven't got anything to offer. Because I mean, if 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 you work within a niche like that, and if you know it inside out, then you have got something to offer. You've got something to market, and that's your expertise and knowledge. Uh, so I think, yeah, the best way to kind of give an example of that one of the clients that that I um, I think one of the first clients I actually worked on when I came to Exposure Ninja, really dry kind of. It was uh, pallet and warehouse racking, and again, a similar type of thing, just like. We're not going to go to a mummy blogger and ask them to write a post about pallet racking because the fit's not there. It's not the right audience. And again, coming back to that context for that link, it's not there. It's a complete wrong way to do it. So we, what we did, we looked for industry-related magazines and websites. Obviously, a lot of magazines nowadays will have a digital counterpart. So you might even be able to think, okay, maybe your business has an actual physical subscription to a paper magazine. Chances are they will have a website as well. So that would be my first port of call. So we looked at this warehouse safety guy and we found a whole range of people which were discussing the content. We found a, a and an outlet called The Manufacturer, which again is, is gold dust for that kind of stuff because it's all about yeah manufacturing and that kind of niche. So yeah, the, I think the best way to do that is kind of look at look within yourself, look within your company, look what you know and look what you know within your field. Pick out the bits you know and see what there is to work with and then go from there. And then just use, use Google for this. Um, you can search for the topics that you know inside out, look to see which websites are also talking about them look to see if they're approachable obviously you don't want to approach like rival businesses or anything like that but yeah just kind of search around and have confidence in yourself that if you do know your stuff and if you work within that then there are going to be also be people out there that are going to want to read it also work in the same niches and stuff like that and are going to want to kind of consume that information and then if if you kind of do something entirely unique I don't really think that's possible to, to kind of become out and do something that's never been done before. But even if you do think you're that kind of unique, then again, there's still something marketable about that. Because again, you can approach these people and be like, hey, look, I'm brand new. I, I do things differently. This is how we work. And again, you, your chances of being picked up within that are still going to be very, very, very good. Reminds me of one of the most recent actual uh, piece of work we've been doing for that same client. Just recently, we put together an infographic for them called uh, The Four Most Dangerous Fictional Workplaces. And it's quite a, a lighthearted and fun infographic and, and blog post. And what it essentially uh, talks about is health and safety in the workplace, but for these fictional places. So one of the first places was how uh, health and safety should be monitored or uh, you know how it would have helped in certain situations. One of the funniest ones I loved from this was uh, they talked about the health and safety aspects of the Death Star from Star Wars. 
so it was really good and it just talked about how it could have helped maybe avoided it being blown up if there was better health and safety uh, it also talks about the health and safety at uh, the nuclear uh, power plant in the simpsons it's just you can create some really fun and interesting content it might not necessarily be it's it's not as boring as perhaps the subject matter might appear at first you know, it also talks about Game of Thrones, you know, Castle Black, the, the castle near the wall, you know, stopping all the, the White Walkers coming through. It talks about how health and safety training should have taken place there. You know, you have to be aware of, of certain things. And it's just ex- an exciting thing. And other websites, other blog bloggers would be interested in this kind of thing. It, it's an unusual take and you don't have to be straight and narrow and boring about your content. You just have to think outside the box. I think, yeah, that's that's the point as well. If your link building kind of gets to the stage that it's robotic and you're doing stuff, obviously when you're link building, yeah, the, the end goal is that link. But yeah, if it's like, I don't know, kind of like production line, I just kind of write some like really dull content, get a link at the end of it and then just repeat the process without any kind of engagement going in there, then yeah, it's going to, it's going to become dry. It's going to be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's just like, Oh, I'm not interesting. I'm not getting on interesting sites. Whereas if you come at it for a fresh angle, if you're going to be working within a niche, that's maybe not that interesting. Again, they're going to, they're going to like this content because it's, it's doing something from it's, it's tackling it from an angle, which is Maybe a bit novel, but again, maybe that's what they want. They want they want to give a, have a fresh pair of eyes and a fresh outlook on something. Um, and again, that's that's differentiating you from everyone else out there. Okay, maybe the link that the links that we built from that they're not going to be uh, maybe as authoritative as, as if we went so for example straight to the manufacturer and got a link from them. Very very focused health and safety manufacturing type content. But again, it's we're still going to pick up related links similar links and also it doesn't really matter if maybe a few of your links are a bit loose um, as long as your backlink profile as a whole so that's the collection of all your links points to your site makes sense and are relevant then yeah i mean there's, there's going to be room for some straights just if the kind of weird loose spammy links are, are the entire makeup of your backlink profile then that's when you're kind of being going to be in trouble but just kind of taking the initiative thinking okay i want to try something new i want to freshen things up and then just kind of running with it as long as the websites that you're approaching are, are still good quality, they might be slightly out of what you usually go for. But yeah, it's still going to work for you. So I think there's a couple of really interesting things that were in that example, which I think are probably such second nature to you guys that they don't even register. The, the first is that you are the guy, the pallet racking guy. He's not just a pallet racking guy. You've taken him out of pallet racking and turned him into a health and safety guy, which is a which is a broader topic, which has much more mass appeal. And then the second thing that you've done is you've looked at what's currently popular now, what people are already talking about with Game of Thrones, and you've said, how can we tie this guy into that? So how can we piggyback something which is already being talked about and then use this guy's new kind of authority that we've built around uh, around him, which is this health and safety expert. So I guess taking the angle with the the oil rig drilling thing and you could say well what's their expertise really and it's not just in oil rigs it's in oil in general and what sort of things are people talking about with oil well oil prices are always up and down at the moment really kind of unstable anything to do with Iran or the Middle East anything like that as soon as Saudi Arabia breathes it has an impact on oil prices so we could take those guys out of being the electrical connector drill bit manufacturer and actually turn them into 
kind of semi-authority on on oil and what's going on with the oil industry. You know, how is renewable energy coming through, you know, and all of that stuff. So it really, it kind of opens up the possibility for links beyond just the stuff that's right in front of you. Yeah, so again, another example, for example, we have like a, a paintballing client. And again, every link that we look to build to them, is it's not just going to be off paintballing websites um, and other websites talk about paintballing because, again, that's so narrow. Obviously, it'd be, it'll be really good for us um, to approach them, but we don't want to keep going to them just f- for and kind of recycling content and just keep getting links with them. We, we want to keep it varied. We want to kind of branch out. So we might look at, I don't know, uh, for example, maybe there's a website which discusses activities to do in the school summer holidays or something that still makes sense for that link to be there contextually it's it's and at the end of the day it's it's useful for anyone that's going to be on that web page because it, it's still providing valuable information and similarly to stick with that kind of paintballing thing it also makes sense for that link to be let's say the paintballing is in london so maybe we can have that link a link from a London business directory in there. And again, it makes sense for that link to be there because it's a London business. So it's not businesses and websites. They don't just exist in kind of one circle and this is the circle. It's not like you just have to um, kind of be featured in your electrical drill bit circle. But within that, you've got bigger circles. So yeah, like kind of the oil circle, oil rig circle. Maybe you could even do some stuff about uh, exports and imports, maybe in there if the angle was right. So there's lots of stuff that you can kind of look at and and work with, and but it's just kind of being able to conceptualize and kind of draft and pitch your content outside of that that kind of tight, tight circle. And one uh, particularly good way of deciding which angles you take with the content and who you reach out to is to just kind of grab a blank piece of paper and write in you know what your website is or the industry is in the center and do it as a mind map you know you add a circle around there and then just kind of link to different circles that are related so as zach said uh, before you know you put paintballing in the middle and you you write offshoots you know um, stag do weekends or you know things to do in london uh, if we're going to stay localized and very quickly you can find a couple of related terms that perhaps you weren't initially thinking of when you were just looking at your own website. And then from those individual kind of circles, you then can then span off and other things. So once you've got the the very first ring of circles taken care of, you can then work on each individual offshoot. And you can very quickly find lots of different ways in which you can put your content out there on the internet that's still relatable to your, your field. Yeah, that could be a, quite a nice exercise for anyone listening to the podcast now. If you think you kind of work in a dry industry or if, you, if you're interested in kind of doing uh, digital outreach uh, yourself, yeah, just sit down, do the mind map as Dale says, and then tweet in to us what you've kind of found. And then we'll be kind of, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look through what you've come up with together. And if anyone's got a business that they think is so boring, they would never possibly have an angle. Yeah, challenge us. us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Challenge us at Exposure Ninja and we'll come up with some angles for you. Okay, so that, that that's getting links. Now, everybody knows that there's this thing called Fiverr.com and you go to Fiverr.com and you can buy 10,000 backlinks and they promise that they are really very good quality, highest quality, best deal um, for $5. <laughs> so why should I go to all this effort of doing all the mind maps and the blogging and the outreach when I can just go to Fiverr, get 10,000 links, job done, I'm going to be top of Google, right? Well, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. 
And that tends to be the case with these Fiverr links. And from our experience of having, you know, several clients come to us and say, oh, we've been penalized by Google and we don't know why we have plenty of backlinks. A lot of the time it's because they've sourced or secured or however you want to put it, purchased backlinks from Fiverr. Yeah, it's almost always in every single case that they spent five pounds and got a thousand links and, you know, suddenly their website has just collapsed in on itself. Yeah, and that's the thing. You want to be building for the future. Okay, there, there are industries and there are situations where you might be able to make some money from having a website ranked for two or three months or something and then you can take the hit and move on. That's not going to be applicable to any kind of B2B, B2C businesses. It might be applicable for people doing affiliate stuff, fine. The reason we do it the way we do is because it's white hat and basically that means that we're, we're following... Google's webmaster guidelines. And that means that the likelihood of, of, of any of our clients or any of the work that we do, um, getting any of the websites that we work with kind of pinged and penalized is kind of minimal. And that's the thing you can't, you can't essentially a business is, is like building an empire. You can't build an empire if you've got two months to work with. If you're going to be visible for two months, then what's the point? We want to be visible for years, decades. And it's just making sure that that we're giving people that platform to kind of work off of and to, to be safe, to know that, okay, there's not going to be a traffic drop off because we're doing all we can and we're, we're abiding by um, Google's guidelines. We're saying that the low quality links, they're not as, they're not as authoritative as the, the good quality links. I guess they have no context either, which we're talking about as being really important. I think one of the main things to remember is it only costs $5 to get 10,000 backlinks, but it costs a hell of a lot more than $5 to get rid of those backlinks when they're dragging your website down. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I mean, generally, if you're paying around 50 or $60 um, underneath that for a link, then you've got to kind of be looking at what's going on there. And that's kind of obviously based, not obviously not directly purchasing a link, but obviously you might be paying advertising costs to be featured on that website or on that blog, or also in kind of, the amount of hours in which it takes to be featured on a website, obviously that's that's still going to be costing you money in one way or another. And yeah, I mean, it, it, to, to us guys, it's always going to make more sense to spend five, six, seven hours writing a really amazing piece and getting it on a relevant website than taking the money in which we could maybe save from us not spending that much time and buying, I don't know, like 20,000 links. But yeah, that's the thing, more links doesn't necessarily mean higher ranking more good quality links means higher ranking more links just volume doesn't we got zach and dale from explosion engine we're talking about how to improve the ranking of any website we're going to take a short break now and then when we come back we're going to talk about the third google ranking factor this magical rank brain thing as a thank you for checking out the explosion ninja podcast you can claim a free review of your website and digital marketing at ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. Your review will include analysis of your competitors and a free personalized strategic plan for you. There's absolutely no catch. If you like your review, you can apply to become an Exposure Ninja client, although there is no obligation to do so. Here is what people are saying about their free reviews on Facebook. My review was excellent and much more detailed than anything I would expect for free. We'll definitely be using Exposure Ninja further. I have just finished watching my free marketing review and I'm really impressed by the time and care taken. My review was sent by video, which was extremely helpful as I could clearly see what I needed to do. I'd highly recommend applying for a free marketing review. 
fantastic video review, some terrific advice covering all aspects of our website. The generosity in terms of quality and quantity of advice is tremendous. I applied for this and a number of other reviews from other websites. The review that Laura, one of the ninjas put together for me, was incredibly comprehensive. The other companies gave me a PDF full of graphs and stats that didn't mean anything to me. Laura sent me a video she made talking me through things on my website and gave me detailed advice on how to improve the website. To get your free website and marketing review, head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review now. Alrighty, welcome back. We've got Zach Hayes and Dale Davies here from Exposure Ninja. And we're talking about how to get any website, how to increase the ranking on Google. We've talked about content. We've talked about links. Now, the third most important ranking factor that Google has come out publicly and said is, is one of the main factors that they use to decide the ranking of a site is something called RankBrain. So what is RankBrain and why do we care about it? RankBrain is essentially Google's machine learning aspect of its search algorithm. And that just means that it's kind of always learning uh, the more it's using as it goes by. And what it's doing, it's kind of looking at historical searches and basically learning um, from them and trying and using that, what it's the, the, the kind of data and information that is gleaned from those searches and also translating it into new ones. The, the best and easiest to kind of visualize example that I could probably give of it is Let's say you've got two search phrases. One is, I don't know, Chinese restaurant in Nottingham. And then another one is just Chinese Nottingham. One might have a really high search volume. One might have a considerably lower search volume. And what Rank Rain will do is it, is it can look at those search terms and it can identify the similarities between them. And then it can actually make a decision and translate that search so that the one with the higher volume might be shown to the lower volume search because Google then knows that what those people are searching for is actually the same and it's actually more useful for them to be given the one with more results. Um, and at the end of the day, yeah, obviously Google's main remit is to give the best information possible to be as useful for searches as possible. So it's, yeah, it's about looking for patterns between searches and drawing the line between um, related searches and using that to kind of, yeah, to, to, to influence um, the results that are given. So by giving RankBrain all of this data about searches, Google's trying to, I guess, teach it to, to learn what the intent is behind these searches? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's I think it's going to make searches kind of a lot more accurate, a lot more relevant. And it's going to pull kind of all of these different spheres of information and kind of a lot in together a lot tighter. I think also it will look at how people actually use uh, the Google search. So for example, if somebody searches for something and the very first initial page isn't actually what they're looking for, they'll probably retype in what they're searching for. Through time, Google will kind of say, okay, we spotted the similarity. We spotted the, the first search term wasn't accurate. They were really looking for this. So in future, they may just learn from that and say, why don't we just give them the end result instead, instead of them kind of searching two or three times for what they're looking for. Okay, so to try and draw what people really mean instead of what they type, I guess. Exactly, exactly. So say, say we've got our website, whether it's a local beauty website or a drill bit website, you know, whatever it is. How can we benefit from this rank brain thing? 
Well, again, it comes down to kind of understanding what your customers are searching for. Once you further understand what it is, the very specifics of their searches, you can tailor your content, both landing pages and your blog posts, to satisfy those needs. So, for example, everybody's kind of fighting over location beauty salon or location, but there might be something far more specific, what we call a long tail uh, keyword searches, where it's a long set of words or a question where that we could actually answer specifically. Um, we can create content that will be more s- specific, more, and then once we add authority to it, there's the higher chance of it kind of returning as the top result for that search term. So there's kind of a less ambiguity uh, around searches. You know, you want to make sure that yours is very specific to that phrase. And if you're writing your content well and kind of uh, using synonyms and, and very related terms, you can make sure that no matter what the person searches, your content comes up first. And obviously with that as well, the way that obviously this is very kind of, this relates to how Google's processing those keywords, which people are putting into the search box. And again, the algorithm, it, it's it's kind of much more intelligent than what it was a few years ago. So to, to, to kind of to rank for something. So again, if you want to rank for the best Chinese in Nottingham yeah again it we've kind of moved on from the fact that you don't need to kind of stuff those keywords in and you don't really need to kind of shoehorn that phrase into copy if it doesn't fit the algorithm is intelligent enough to kind of look at the other signals yeah look at the page titles and stuff as well and look at the 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 information on the page as a whole uh, when it's deciding on how to deal with that query okay so how about some other ranking factors you know for does how people use my website, does that potentially affect how Google would rank it? Well, most certainly. I mean, we look at like things like bounce rate. So this is a, a percentage of the users that come through to your website via, you know, in this case, we're talking about organic traffic. So traffic via Google. If most of the people coming through to your website immediately kind of hit the back button, hit, you know, delete, and they want to go back to the search, you're giving Google the impression that your website doesn't fit the actual search term. So, you know, there are things like that and they kind of make you aware and you can very quickly learn from to see that perhaps I need to enhance the quality of the content on my page. Maybe the meta title or the description that shows in Google doesn't actually fit the content on the page. Perhaps we need to change the meta title to be more accurate to the content or the other way around. Perhaps the title is fantastic, but the content doesn't match. So we need to make sure that these two align perfectly and stop people kind of backing straight out again. Yeah, and, and with that as well, it's obviously important to note that within your internal pages of the site, so once Google served its purpose and it's got people onto your site, if they're clicking around and kind of, and exploring the site, what then happens on that site after Google's done its job, there's no real way for that information to go back to Google. So we've kind of spoken to clients about before and they're like, oh, this particular page I don't know, it's got a low session duration or something like that. As long as they're not kind of bouncing straight back to the SERPs, uh, which is obviously the search engine results page, that's the main thing that Google's interested in, this kind of pogoing, um, I think is what Moz dubbed it. That's their, that's going to be their key thing, because that's what, at the end of the day, that's what relates to their product. Because, yeah, it's showing them that their search isn't that relevant. Um, but whereas the kind of internal metrics of your website, so the stuff which you might pick up on using Google Analytics, they are, yeah, they're less important. And as far as we're aware, there's no way that, that, that Google as a search engine is kind of tracking those. So the pogoing thing is, is interesting because Google has come out and said, no, we are not tracking if people click on a site, 
you know, the click-through rate of the site through search results and then coming back, whereas Moz has actually performed studies and shown that there is a positive correlation. So there's a bit of uncertainty around that. Um, I think with the Google Analytics data as well, I think opinion is is divided as to whether that has much of an impact. I know, Zach, that your, your, your position is you don't think it does. I, I can't help feeling that if Google has that information, and Google's job is to show the most relevant and useful websites. I just can't help feeling that they're going to be using that analytics data to influence search. But I guess the truth is nobody knows. All you can do is make your website as, as useful as possible. And, and yeah, and I mean, and I mean that's the thing. We can only we can only go directly off of the, the information that we're given and the stuff in which we've found ourselves. And that's why a lot of our campaigns are, and a lot of any SEO campaign is based around content and building good quality links because we know they work, we know they're relevant. So even within the one team here, um, Dale, Tim and I, there's different opinions on how these work. Obviously, one thing we know is if anyone's bouncing straight back to SERPs after not really engaging with the page, that's bad. They're, they're, they're on your site, then they're off the site and going to another site. So that's obviously bad. Awesome. So any metric that you see which you think needs to be improved, work on improving it and trust that over time, your visibility and user metrics will improve. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Remember that if you've enjoyed this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave us a lovely review and subscribe because that helps our ranking and we are all about rankings. Also, don't forget to check out our best-selling book, How to Get to the Top of Google. You can search Amazon for that. But thank you very much, Dale and Zach. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) And thank you for listening, everyone. Talk to you soon.